All right, we're going to hear from God's Word now as uh, Julia brings our Bible reading. So please uh, grab your Bibles. Um, But before we hear from God's Word, let's come before God and pray. Gracious God, your Word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Today, when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart. Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 24, talking about parables again. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything, weed out of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. 
the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is God's word. Thank you, Julia. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. What do you make of the parables? Hands up if you, if you, if you really like the parables. Some few hands, yeah. It's, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a right-wrong sort of question. Um, I, I think parables can kind of divide people in how they respond to them. I know some people like, you know, really like the parables and the, the picture that it kind of paints for them and, and uh, you know, to teach, this, teach a point that they can ponder. And, and other people kind of find them, frankly, just a bit obscure and confusing. Um, and they can be a bit obscure and confusing. And that's actually kind of Jesus' point in telling parables. He told them to, in a sense confuse people, to, to divide them, or, or rather to, to confirm them in the divisions that were already there, to, on, on the one hand, confuse and confound and thereby confirm people in their hardness of heart, and on the other hand, for others, to prompt inquiry and to promote interest, to, to seek, to find out more, to, to not only hear, but also to understand. So the question for us uh, this morning is, well, how will these parables that we've just read, how will they land on us? What effect will they have? Will they kind of just bounce off us like strange, confusing stories that uh, make little or no difference to our lives? Or will they lead us to inquire, to seek, to, to grow in understanding? So the key question is, um, is not what I asked before, do you like the parables? But the key question is actually, what are you going to do with them? Now, unsurprisingly, I, I hope and pray that uh, we will do much with them, that we will take them to heart, that, we, that they will be a, a source of enormous and profound and precious and glorious truth and make a real difference to our lives. So, with that in mind, before we dive into this passage, um, let's pray and ask God to, to help us that, that that would be the case. Let's come before God. Our Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for this uh, teaching of your Son, our Lord Jesus, and we pray and ask that you would give us ears to hear, you give us minds to understand, and you give us hearts to respond to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, these parables, uh, as the, uh, the heading of uh, today's sermon, are, uh, they are parables of the kingdom of heaven, parables of the kingdom, or the kingdom of God. Those phrases are sort of interchangeable. Now, when you think of kingdom... Uh, we're not to think of a, a place. I mean, we might think of, I don't know, the Kingdom of England or the United Kingdom, uh, you know, a, a physical place, a geographic place. The Kingdom of God is, is not talking about a place. It's talking about the reign, the, the, the rule of God, the, the reality that God is King, that He's in charge, that He rules. And the reality of the, the rule, the Kingdom of God is what Jesus brought to this world. Uh, you might remember back in uh, chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said to his disciples, <clears throat> As you go, 
proclaimed this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And here Jesus tells these parables about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there are seven different parables that we're looking at today. Um, I'm conscious that two weeks ago I had uh, merely five verses to preach. Today I've got seven parables. Uh, what was I thinking? I don't know. But, but they, they do actually have a unifying theme, something that, they, that, that sort of holds them together. That is, they're all talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I hope that we're going to see how they, how they fit together to, to paint a picture for us, kind of like a, a seven-piece jigsaw puzzle and a I realise that the seven-piece jigsaw puzzle is pretty small, maybe one of those little kids' ones, but the seven pieces that kind of come together to, to paint a picture, uh, or maybe seven different angles on a, on a precious and complex diamond. I realise I'm just introducing a few more parables for us uh, of my own, but, but I hope you get the point. Let's have a look at, this, uh, at Jesus' parables of the kingdom. Uh, the first three uh, are introduced in a similar way. Notice there, I haven't got any verse on the screen, by the way, so it would be really helpful if you've got a Bible to, to follow along, look, in, uh, look at your Bible. Uh, the first three are introduced in a similar way. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. Then verse 31, he told them another parable. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. It'll become significant when we get to the others. But they're all introduced in this way. And the question that's there begging is, well, who is the them that he told this to? He's just been speaking to the disciples, explaining the parable of the sower, and then it says Jesus told them another parable. But it's not the disciples. When we get to verse 34, it says Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. So the crowd is the ones that, that Jesus is, is speaking these first three parables to. Remember the crowd beside the lake? This, this big crowd such that Jesus retreated into a boat and was teaching the crowd from the boat on the lake. And Jesus tells, tells the crowd these three, well, what are uninterpreted parables in this first half of the chapter. Firstly, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Why, why then did the, sorry, where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, Jesus um, later explained this parable to his disciples, which, which Julia's read for us. So, spoiler, we, we already know what it means. But the crowds wouldn't have understood it. And actually, the disciples, we know, didn't understand it. They had to ask Jesus to explain it to them. And without Jesus' explanation, I reckon we probably wouldn't understand it either. I mean, we might come up with, with all sorts of different understandings ourselves if all we had was just the parable. Maybe we'd say, well, Jesus is teaching about the diversity in the kingdom of heaven, how some of us are like wheat and we think of other people as like weeds but we should just 
tolerate those who are different to us. Now, just to be clear, that's not what the parable of the wheat and the weeds means. And we're actually not at liberty to just kind of make up our own interpretations of the word of God. There's a word for doing that. It's called false teaching. Um, I'm just illustrating that without Jesus' explanation, we could be just as confused as the disciples and the crowd. We'll get to what Jesus does mean in a bit. But first, notice the crowd is then given two more parables. Firstly, the mustard seed and then the yeast. Verse 31, look there with, with me again. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, we're not given an explanation of these parables, but I don't think they're too difficult to understand. In the first, Jesus is, is contrasting the, the smallest of seeds, it says, verse 32, with the largest of garden plants. So despite the, the seemingly small beginning of God's kingdom, like a, like a tiny mustard seed, despite the small beginning, it will grow to eventually encompass the world like a wide-spreading tree. Similarly, the, the small amount of yeast is, is worked into a large amount of flour, 60 pounds or about 27 kilograms. That's a lot of, fl of flour. It's worked through until the whole lot is leavened. What Jesus was doing, though seemingly small, will bring about a massive transformation. Friends, the same is true today. The, the seemingly small step of putting your trust in Jesus and coming into his kingdom, or persevering in obeying his word, that can have a large, widespreading, intergenerational impact for both this life and for eternity. These are the parables Jesus spoke to the crowd. And as verse 34 says, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. Now Matthew adds at this point uh, that by doing this, by speaking in parables, Jesus was fulfilling scripture. Verse 35, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. You may think, what's, what's going on here? This is a quote from Psalm 78. Um, you can uh, go and read Psalm 78 later. Uh, when you do, you'll see that it's, it's uh, all about the history of Israel and how God had performed these, these miracles and wonders and yet Israel rebelled against God, uh, which eventually led to him judging them, bringing judgment upon them. And yet even amongst judgment, because of God's grace and mercy, he sends a, a David-like figure to be king, king over a remnant of God's people. That's kind of the story of Psalm 78. And Matthew's saying, well, that's similar to what's going on here with Jesus' parables, with the generation around him. These, these parables have a, a, div a divisive effect in the response they provoke like seed falling on different soils. Some, despite Jesus' miracles, despite the wonders that he's performed, 
They will reject God's word. And yet a remnant will accept it. And these parables highlight the reality that God is, well, he will likewise respond in different ways, as he did in Psalm 78, with both judgment and with mercy. Which is, well, is actually kind of the point of the parable of the weeds. And so we get the explanation. In verse 36, the scene changes from lakeside to house. Verse 36, then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Notice a little detail there. His disciples, the disciples came to him. Like back in verse 10, the disciples came to him. They came to to Jesus, the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Unlike the the crowds, the the disciples take up Jesus' generous invitation. They come to Jesus. They seek understanding from him. They, They want to listen to his word. And in that, they're a model for us. Jesus invites us to come to him, to listen to him, to seek understanding from him. Well, Jesus answers them and he explains the the parable of the weeds he outlines the the symbolism verse 37 he he answered the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man the field is the world the good seed stands for people of the kingdom the weeds are people of the evil one and the evil uh, and, and the enemy who sows them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels so he explains this symbolism points out what each element in the story means But he doesn't leave it there for them and for us to just then kind of draw whatever point we might from this story. No, the the point of the parable is all focused on what happens at the harvest, at the end of the age. And so Jesus continues and says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is pretty full on. Jesus is talking about hell. Uh, People don't like hearing about it. I don't like talking about it. Uh, Sometimes preachers are accused of using hell as a kind of scare tactic Um, with people but we need to realize that actually Jesus was the biggest hellfire preacher there is he spoke of the reality of hell he spoke of it plainly he he spoke of it boldly and he said one day there will be a, a final day of reckoning at the end of the age the the enemies of God will be judged will be condemned by God condemned to an existence of suffering, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's horrible. And maybe we don't like how horrible it is. Perhaps we're even tempted to to question God's justice. But if we are, perhaps that's a sign that, well, that we don't, we really don't grasp how horrible, how horrible sin is. 
How horrible it is for someone who is created by God as his image bearer to defy their creator, to turn their back on him, to set themselves up against God as his enemy. The horror of hell reflects the horror of sin. Jesus says God will bring ultimate justice. So the warning for us is, well, make sure you're not on the wrong side of that. As an enemy of God in, in line for his righteous condemnation. Jesus says the enemies of God will be condemned. But there is a glorious alternative that Jesus offers to those who, who belong to God's kingdom, to those who hear and understand the word of God. In God's mercy, they are made righteous. They're forgiven. They're declared right with God. And they, verse 43 says, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Notice that little detail there, their father. These kingdom dwellers are children of God. They'll shine like the sun in the, in the kingdom of their father, where God is king. Their dad is king. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus has brought that. And with it has come the announcement that a judgment day is coming, a day of reckoning, which will bring for everyone one of, of two starkly different outcomes, either weeping and gnashing of teeth, or shining like the sun in the kingdom. That's the meaning of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And with that, Jesus gives the, the one exhortation, the one command in this chapter. You keen for a command from Jesus, something to do? Here it is. End of verse 43. Whoever has ears... Let them hear. Literally, whoever has ears, listen. Seek understanding. Come to Jesus. Take his word on board. Seek to do his will. That's what matters most. That's what matters most. And that's the point that Jesus then goes on to make in the fourth and fifth parables with the hidden treasure and the pearl. Interestingly, these two stories, uh, along with the next two, uh, are not introduced as parables, even though our NIV um, section headings call them parables. Uh, and I wonder if that's because, well, they're said to the disciples who get the explanation. So the early ones said to the crowds, introduced, Jesus told them another parable. Jesus told them another parable. But here it just says the kingdom of God is like. They're not said to the crowds. They don't have the same confounding, divisive effect that the first three parables do. Jesus says, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and, and bought that field. Notice there that, that gaining the kingdom is a source of great joy. It doesn't say he begrudgingly gave up things that he really liked and wished he could hang on to. No, it says in his joy, joy elicited by the prospect of the treasure of the kingdom, he went and sold all he had so that he could buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is of singular, supreme importance and value. 
Similarly, Jesus continues, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What is it that that you would sell everything you had in order to buy? Jesus says the one thing of supreme value is the kingdom of our heavenly Father. It's worth losing everything for. It's that important. Now you might have noticed um, these uh, parables come in pairs. You notice that? The the mustard seed goes with the yeast. uh, The hidden treasure goes with the pearl. And we've got the wheat and the weeds, which, well, it goes with what comes next. The net, verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. Now, this is similar to the, to the wheat and the weeds parable, the, the separation of the good from the bad. And the explanation that comes next is basically the same. Verse 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is making sure they've got the point. It's so important that he, well, he gives them two parables with two explanations, both making the same point. There is a day of judgment coming. And then having laid it all out, plainly to to make sure they've got the point that that they're the the good soil who both hear and understand he asks verse 51 have you understood all these things yes they replied they've asked him to explain he's explained now they understand and so he gives them one last parable or illustration verse 52 He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I thought, this is a bit puzzling. This is a bit of a riddle. What we've got there is a a teacher of the law who becomes a disciple of the kingdom. And that's likened to a house owner who brings out of his storeroom Treasure, that's both new treasure as well as old. So the disciple of the kingdom of heaven has the the new treasure. The teacher of the law has the old treasure. That is, there is continuity and fulfillment in in the kingdom of God, in the treasure of the kingdom that Jesus brings. And in that way, Jesus is again reinforcing the point that belonging to the kingdom, that is the greatest treasure of all. Well, what are the implications of Jesus' teaching here for us? I think overall what it does is it challenges us about what is most important, what matters most. And it it points us forward. It points us forward such that we, we live now like wheat in God's harvest field, knowing that judgment day is coming. 
And that forward focus puts things into perspective for us. Uh, The things of this life, they're not ultimately what matters most. Belonging to the kingdom, the, the coming age, that's what matters most. That coming day when, when by God's grace, we will, we will share in the glorious kingdom of God our Father in all its fullness. We can't even begin to imagine how precious and glorious that will be. That's worth more than anything we have, anything we own. Now, that doesn't mean that the things of this life are, you know, are, are meaningless and that this life is meaningless. No, but their meaning and their value is shaped by the future and by the coming of, the, of God's kingdom in all its fullness. One way that that future shapes our lives now is, is that it shows us how, how important it is that people hear and understand God's word, that they become the, the wheat in God's field rather than the weeds that are tied up and burned that, that, that they come into the kingdom of God receive the righteousness of Christ and in the end shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father that's what matters most Jesus taught his disciples about about this plainly he teaches us about it plainly through the Bible hell is real and horrible and Jesus died so that you and I and other people don't need to go there, so that we could be saved from it. So let's give ourselves, let's give ourselves to to living for God's kingdom and helping whoever we can to do the same. With that in mind, will you start praying or or continue praying if you have been, um, pray for our Easter church gatherings that are coming up. Pray for Mark Drummer next term. Pray for explaining Christianity, which will happen after that. Pray that that lots of people come and hear and understand and accept Jesus' invitation to come to him, to be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. And I guess uh, in closing, one key implication of Jesus' teaching here is that if any of you haven't yet done that, if you haven't come to Jesus and accepted his invitation, maybe there's someone here, maybe there's people watching online. What are you waiting for? Jesus invites you to come into God's family. That's the hidden treasure. That's the, the pearl of great value. That's the thing that is, is worth giving up everything for. Jesus warns that there's a judgment day coming and he also calls us, invites us to come to him, to rest in him, to be saved from that judgment through him. If that's something that you need to do, if if that's something that you want to do, I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. Um, In a moment I'm going to pray a prayer that is the sort of prayer that you could pray to accept that invitation to come to Jesus put your trust in him to be saved by him Um, i'll I'll read through the prayer um, and i'll pray it line by line and if you want to you can pray it in the quietness of your own mind this is what the prayer says dear god i know that i'm not worthy to be accepted by you i have rebelled against you in my thoughts words and actions i don't deserve the gift of belonging to your kingdom thank you for sending your son jesus to die for me that i might be forgiven and welcomed into your kingdom 
Please forgive me and change me that I might live in your kingdom with Jesus as my king. I'm going to pray that prayer now. And if you want to make that your prayer, to come to Jesus, to accept his invitation, to be welcomed into his kingdom, then pray it in the quietness of your own mind um, after, as I pray it line by line. But let's all bow our heads as I lead us in prayer. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I have rebelled against you in my thoughts, words and actions. I don't deserve the gift of belonging to your kingdom. But thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, that I might be forgiven and welcomed into your kingdom. Please forgive me and change me that I might live in your kingdom with Jesus as my king. Amen. Friends, I want to say, if you've prayed that prayer um, and prayed it from your heart, I want to assure you God has heard and answered that prayer and he has welcomed you into his kingdom. He offers you forgiveness through the Lord Jesus. You've crossed over from death to life, from condemnation and judgment to forgiveness and joy for eternity with God, your Heavenly Father. Uh, I would love to, to, to also welcome you into this part of God's family. Um, so please let me know if you have prayed that prayer. You can uh, jot that on the, the Connect form or grab me afterwards and let me know. I'd love to welcome you into God's family and, and to help you to live with Jesus as your King.